g'day. How you going, buddy? Good and yourself, mate. Good. Good, good. We've got a guest on tonight. I know. That feather has been a while. Nice waffle. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so with us tonight, we have Fryzy Ernesty from Fryzy's Reptiles. Hey, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, boys. How are we? Good, mate. Good. good. I'm glad you said his last name because I would have butchered that for sure. <laughs> oh, hopefully I've got it right. <laughs> Most people do. Yep. It's Ernesty. Yep. There you Ernesty. go. There you go. Not quite there, but yeah. Not far off the mark. My one's a nightmare. The Germans screaming yeah, over. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, well, we're German as well, so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mate. So yeah, for those who don't know, Frizy's a South Australian reptile keeper that keeps a variety of lizards, geckos, and pythons, and more. And um, yeah, you've got a pretty stellar looking collection from what you can see on your Instagram page, and yeah. a, hell of a lot of variety. Yeah, I um, you know, I probably started getting. I've always had variety. It's probably been my Achilles heel in the long run because, you know, a big variety doesn't mean you do fantastic with everything. But I've been fairly consistent yep. with most things, so I'm pretty happy about that. And then, you know, you get a species and you sit on it for a couple of years, you do well with it. And I kind of get like an itch where I have to, you know, get something else. I'm just one of these people that, you know, I like new things like everybody else. Yep. So I just make room and uh, something different comes along. And it's like a new <laughs> little project to work out how to get it to go. <laughs> yeah. I think that sounds fun half the time, though. Yeah, mm. for sure. Oh, I'm trialling new setups for new species and things like that. It's just like a whole new adventure, yeah. essentially. Yep. Yeah, most definitely. It's um, It becomes expensive, you know, recycling different reptiles over and over and over, especially when the caging has to change every time. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent for sure. And so, most of us have wives that will contest to every time the cage change. <laughs> Didn't you have a cage like that? Oh, that's a new cage. No, it's not. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Same one you seen last week. Yeah, it just looks a bit different. I swear. There's nothing well, new in this. I swear. Worse is when your wife walks into the room and goes, "Is that a new lizard? I haven't seen that one here before. That looks different to the others." No, it's been here for six months. You just haven't seen it. <laughs> it's definitely Chuck, when you when when you work with the morphs, it's even harder because the new ones are you know nice and shiny and flashy, and they don't they look like the out. old ones. <laughs> yeah, they do. So I'm lucky. Most of the leaf tails kind of look the same to the untrained eye. So yeah, stick to grey lizards. Yeah. Always yeah. Jason's a shocker at it. Last time I went to his place, he was like, oh, she doesn't know about this one. She doesn't know about that one. <laughs> so, okay. She comes in here all the time and just looks at his, that's new. That's you. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> that adult had a baby and it was as big as an adult. Like. That's right. Exactly. And yeah. that's just had babies. Oh, what yeah, are the odds? A, yeah. Winning. Winning. Yeah. Exactly. Doing really well at breeding these things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Frizy, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown of what actually got you started in keeping reptiles in the beginning? Uh, yeah, so I was lucky enough that um, my dad, when he was younger, uh, he kept a lot of reptiles as a kid. Um, it was like his passion. You know, there was growing up in a small town on the Air Peninsula, there wasn't really much he could do besides go out bush. So he went out and had a heap of reptiles as a kid before all the laws and the you know, permits and all that shit come into place, you know, back in the day. He had a heap of budgies and all sorts and he uh, he put a goanna, he caught a sand goanna and put it in and ate all his budgies one day. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, he was devo because he used to love his budgies as much as he loved his reptiles. But yeah, it was, wasn't smart putting a, a decent sized sandy in a cage where budgies are all you know close to the ground and can't get out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that my dad used to take me out bush as a kid, and we used to go out and you know catch lizards every other day, move sleepies off the road, blue tongues off the road, and beady dragons. And pretty common where I live, like really common. Um, so I spent you know as a kid that was sort of my apprenticeship, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, we all did the wrong thing. We went and caught a bunch of lizards, brought them home, did what we had to do when we were very young and we didn't know what the laws were. Um, but when I was uh, nine, I bred my first pair of shinglebacks and from that moment on, it just it just took off. Like I actually, after I bred the shinglebacks, um, someone told me because they found out that I bred them in, in, in the town that I lived in and, and told me that you need a licence and all that and then, yeah, we... We basically had to do it all properly because, you know, we weren't aware of the laws and whatnot um, because we never sort of crossed that territory once upon a time. Um, But, yeah, we we got a permit and we we did it properly and started doing it right and I saved every ounce of pocket money and I was buying, like, eastern water dragons, you know, one fortnight and then, you know, when I had enough money, I'd go and buy blotch blue tongues. like, Like, the pet shop that I had used to get, like, four or five lizards in once a month, you know, at the end of the month and... You know, back in the day, it would have just been some random breeder's animals, <laughs> um, he, you know, that he just didn't want anymore. He just didn't yeah. want to feed the babies. And then, yeah, they'd end up at my pet shop. And, you know, back then you used to put them on lay-by and, yeah, I'd bring home something new every couple of weeks. And Most of my stuff back then was kept outside. Um, I had a shock and run with blotched blue tongues and, and the cold weather where I live. Um, you know, back in the day, you didn't really realise that you had to keep them high and dry. Um so you know, I, you know, I've, I've lost quite a few over the years when I was younger and learning, but there was no real literature around it either. Occasionally, you get a book and you'd be able to read a book, and and I got every reptile book from the library. I did everything I could possibly do, and yeah, I I, I just started honing my knowledge, and then I, I reached out to people in my town that were like mentors to me, and and they had cool shit back then, and it just grew from there. I managed okay. to get most of their cool shit and then, yeah, I become bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I sort of moved out of home, um, it got even worse. <laughs> it <laughs> like, seems to be the way. Yeah, like it got like like literally I'd spend all my money on reptiles and not worry about food. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, eaten, I'd be eating two-minute noodles because I just bought a shiny new snake. Yep. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. very familiar. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 then and then you know we all did that that transition of you know and then you get you know half decent employment and you can start actually you know looking after these animals you know a lot better with you know quality captive care not just captive care yeah and then I sort of I sort of changed my whole you know I, I wanted to produce every species of reptile for as long as I could live you know thinking it was going to never run out and. And, and the drive was never going to run out. But, you know, the reality of when you have 300 reptiles, uh, burnout's a real thing and it comes around pretty quick when you're breeding a lot of them. And, yeah, you know, I did it with most species. I, I mass-produced a whole bunch of stuff and I kind of just got to a point where I was like um, it, it became a full-time job and I needed a bit of a break. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I swindled off some of my stuff. I just, I just you know, weeded out what I didn't need and, kept a smaller collection and found that I really started to enjoy the, the small collection because I gave my animals better care. Yeah. And and now my numbers are, 
you know, more than manageable. And even at the end of a breeding season every year, I go, well, I don't need to produce that many. So I'll bomb off a couple of adults and I'll bomb off, you know, a few other projects that I didn't really want to, you know, I, I decided to, for some unknown reason, I just didn't want to continue with that particular project. Um, now I've got it down to, you know, a very manageable number, but they are all very stunning animals. And, you know, like I've, I've kind of picked the best of everything I've got and bred that and then kept the best back and, yeah, I am where I am today. Quality, not quantity. You know, like, and, and, and it's also quality captive care. Like I'm yeah. at a point in my life now where I don't need to produce 700 beardy dragons, you know, f- to, to be the best or anything like that. You know, like to me it makes no sense, you know. Yeah. Now it's just, you know, like I do produce quite a few anatoresia, but you're doing that to keep the best ones back, to, to, to line breed the better animals and then to keep going with that particular mutation because I work mainly with morphs in, in the anatoresia and the, and the blue-tongued skinks and the carpet pythons. So everything yeah. else is sort of just run of the mill. Yeah. Yeah. So – what are you basically keeping these days, apart from um, obviously your, your your morph stuff? Have you got kind of uh, other side little projects and stuff you got interests in? Yeah, so I keep uh, Kimberley rock monitors. I keep um, uh, Varanus brevicorda, so brevis, short tail monitor. Um, I just they are just the coolest goanna. I had them in oh shit, I'd like to say two thousand and eight. I did really yep. well with them back then, and I don't know, someone offered me stupid money for them back in the day and I just took it and I kicked myself every day because I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And then I was afforded the opportunity off a really good mate in Western Australia to get some brevies over um, that yep. he kept me produced and they were fantastic and I'm so glad I did it. And my first lot will be hatching in a month. So That's oh, awesome. Wicked. So, yeah. They're not something you uh, see around too much of. Nah, they, they sort of. I don't. I don't know what happened, but there was there was quite a few of them in the hobby mm. that you know just people sort of lose focus. They you know don't particularly continue with the project. They keep them, and they they generally will probably overfeed them. I'd say would be the biggest reason of why they don't stay reproductive. Um, yep. They get too fat, and then they become lazy breeders. Um, yeah. But yeah, now they're now they're. Like between myself and a couple of mates, we've got really good numbers, and next year we'll have even better numbers. And, and yeah, but they're always cool to swap for something that you really want to because everyone wants a brevy. Exactly. Yeah. They're one that's always really interested me. They just look so different compared to a lot of the other goannas, too. They're kind of just so stocky. Yeah, they are. They're, they're the bulldogs. They're just, they're little bulldogs. They're so cool. But they honestly, they like my favorite monitor. Outside of the Kimbos would be Gillens. I love yep. Pygmy Mulgars because they're just – they're so busy. They never yeah. stop. They've always got to be doing something. So mm. they're awesome. Um, brevies are up there. The The issue with brevies, the difference is brevies will sleep in in the morning to about 11 o'clock. Then they'll wake up and be like a Gillens for the best part of four or five hours and then they go back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they just – on their backs in the middle of the enclosure or wedged up against something and every day you think they're dead and they just trick you. <laughs> so it, it, they're not for the faint-hearted, the brevicorder. Walk in, you think it's carked it, but it's just sleeping. Every day. I've got photos. Um, also, me mate, 
uh, Scotty Ryan posted a video the other day of one of his just sleeping on its back. I've got one sitting in the corner of the cage, full arched over, out like a light. I think he's going to snap his spine, <laughs> but he's out like a light. Sounds like a toddler. <laughs> Pretty much. So, some animals are so weird. I used to find that with my Weber python types. They'd be like rolled on their sides or something like that and sleeping on their sides. They were one that yeah. I used to get kind of like a bit of a heart attack at. Yep. I used to get no, that with Brevies, my gillens. Uh, Always like that. Yeah, Gillens will sleep with one yeah. claw hooked in the mesh. Yeah, yeah. Like, fingers hung himself, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like, uh, how are you going to get down? Yeah. And it's funny because you're, you're watching them and they just like look at you, they wake up and then they just release their foot and drop yeah. to the bottom <laughs> of the cage. Yeah, I've always seen that. Actually, I saw one the other day. It was in here in, in this tank next to me and it was one back foot in the mesh hanging down. And it watched a, a cockroach run across the bottom of the ground and just went bang like a little ninja and just dropped down <laughs> straight on top of it. Yeah, I was like, that was pretty wicked to see that. Hunt with stealth, yep. Yeah. It's incredible. Yep. You'd think um, it would hurt. Yeah, well, that's, you know, nine times out of ten, we, we think this stuff hurts our reptiles. And, you know, if you ever see a goanna in the wild, um, you know, especially a, uh, a gillen's, It'll drop out of a tree two, three metres tall. I've seen beardy dragons do it. They just drop out of trees and just go. Yeah. So, you know, that, and that's a decent fall. That's like the roof of your house to the ground. That's right. Off they go. Like my boys will do it from the top of this 1,200 enclosure to dive on a yep. cricket or something. And that's only 1,200. So yep. you can imagine in the wild they'd be doing it from even higher again. So Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, we, we watched a um, uh, Panoptes. Yeah, Panoptes jump out of a tree that, I mean, it was probably at least five, six metres in the air or something like that and just frog slash straight out of it. Yep. Was, yeah. Tough things. Tough bloody yeah, things. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I also keep, uh, I've got a couple of Amia. Um, I just, they're just a bit of fun. They're in a naturalistic enclosure. I mean, I used to keep them in tubs. I... I pretty much went away from tub keeping for, you know, 90% of my collection besides Anna Theresia because you just can't keep those buggers in. Like, they just get out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you give an Anna Theresia a cage, it'll find a way out. <laughs> if you want to test any cage, put a Stimson's in it in. for a week. <laughs> are you talking just hatchies or are you talking like actual adults and stuff as well? No, nah, the adults. The adults are all in proper tubs because every time I put them in a cage, they get out. And when you've got a lot of them, uh, you just don't <laughs> want them getting out. You usually find them somewhere where they're not supposed to be like uh, last year. And uh, I put it in a nice display enclosure and thought this would be great. You know, it's a really pretty wheat bell stimmy and found her under the fridge three days later, like <laughs> up in where the compressor was. And I was like, right oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, and she was covered in shit too. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> so, so they will test your patience. Oh, I have to get locks for my cages. I'm about to try to move some of my well, my three ants. I want to put them into cages. Now that makes me nervous. Well, I'm gonna just tell you right now: so seal every gap. Yeah, that is the only way. Like, and and here's the thing: I've got one in particular, one Stimmy in particular, and she's Houdini. She gets out of everything, right? She pushed out of that gap on a fuck on a V thirty five. She pushed out of that gap. I went in the shed and she was half out, and that gap would have been probably three to four mil. And wow. she used yeah, her body weight to wedge the tub, <clears throat> and then and she's a big snake. She's a meter stimmy, and I was like, 
I can't pull the tub and I can't shut the tub. So I had to sit there for an hour and watch her get out of the cage, basically. <laughs> right in front of my eyes. Wow. So, yeah, you just have to be careful with the gaps for the anesthesia. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That sounds good. So, so you said that you do mainly mainly kind of cage setup. So you're talking like malamine yep. cages or PVC um, or what have you got? So I've got a couple of um, Reptile 1 cages and I've got a couple yep. of like big URS display enclosures. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, most of my caging is is obviously I've got old Malamon cages as well, but I'm just upgrading everything to um, form ply cages. Yep. Everything's going across the form ply. I mean, ideally I'd love to go to PVC, but uh, I live out in the country and freight is usually three times the price of a cage, you know, just to yeah. get it to me. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a shitty scenario, but with the country in such, you know, poor condition with freight, um, yeah, I just form ply, I can get it, my locals get it, they cut it all to size and then I just knock the stuff up. Um, yeah. But I actually rate the Reptile 1 cages. I really do rate them. Um, I've got a couple of them and they're, they're pretty decent. Are you talking the glass ones or are you talking the timber yeah. ones? No, they're both they're both pretty decent. I mean, I like the fact that you can add you know plenty of heat to them. Um, the glass ones are fantastic; they really are good because they've got the swing doors and yeah. little monitors will test your patients too. Yep, they sure will. Yes, <laughs> they will. I don't think I've seen the reptile one swing door enclosures. I like yeah, the flat so pack ones. The reptile yeah, they one ones. Flat yeah, pack. they're brilliant. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're absolutely brilliant, and and you know like. When you screw them up tight enough, there's generally no gaps. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's what the baby Kimbos get raised in. The baby Brevies will get raised in them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you got the new version with, like, the actual key lock or have you got the one that's got, like, kind of like the, the dummy lock? No, they've, they've all got the key lock and the, there's a little black piece of plastic that comes up yeah. and just holds the doors in. Yep, I've got them ones. Yeah, yeah. I used to have trouble with some of the ones at work. I think they were the older style that kind of had like their own sort of key. It wasn't like an actual yep. key, key as such. But I used to get sand into those gaps from the bearded bit of dragons there, and I'd be yep. constantly having to tape those locks off and give them a bit of a clean out. But I think since they've gone to those new locks on the ones they got now, they seem to yep. be a lot more robust. Yeah, they've also that that little glass window in the front is perfect because. Yeah, you know, even dragons. I mean, beady dragons are just messy captives on a good yeah. day, you know, and they just get sand mm. everywhere. It doesn't matter yeah. how you do it. They just get sand everywhere. But um, I've had beaties in these cages, and unless yeah. she walks through the water bowl and then goes through the dirt and goes boom on the glass like they always do, um, you generally won't have problems where the lock is because it's right in the middle of the cage. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty handy. A lot different to sliding tracks. I can't oh, stand sliding what, tracks. What about that noise? <laughs> <laughs> do, it for enough, do it for enough time too and your glass gets shorter. Yeah. <laughs> it grinds yeah, yeah. down. Grinds down. <laughs> yep, sure does. Yeah, I actually don't mind form ply. Like I've had a few people message me going, why the hell are you using form ply for enclosures? But it's just so sturdy. It is. and That would have been my option if I didn't get these PVCs. Would have been form yep. ply for sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, there's PVC cages behind you. Yep. I would I would 100% go to Anna Theresia for them yeah. because <clears throat> most of the PVC cages have that um, recess where the door goes in, the plastic yep. door. 
Yeah. That would be perfect because they, they you know, uh, you know, a strong and Teresa would probably be able to try push the hinges a little bit and they do test yeah. it. But um, I would go to that as a display cage and then just use those little um, Chinese UVA fittings, yep. uh, UVA, UVB ones, um, because I actually find they're actually really decent. They throw out plenty of heat too. Yeah. You're talking about like little halogens. Yeah, yeah, they're excellent yeah. little globes. But like, yep. you know, because you're only heating something small for an anatrees, you're not going right, yeah. a massive amount of room. Otherwise, yeah. they just, they hide. You know, yeah. you put a nice anatrees in a nice cage and then you won't see it for three weeks like most. Yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. like you think about where, you know, where they come from. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of those little globes, actually. Quite often I'll order a whole bunch of them just for heat lights. Little 25 yeah. waters, I think I get. The yep. real tiny ones, but like for yep. mine, they're the ones. I've, yep, same ones. I've got them in this tank right next to me on the ground with some gillons in it. And you know, for yep. little lizards and things like that, they're perfect because it just creates such a narrow, hot beam. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't do it with a too. big lizard, but yeah, no. little tiny things. Perfect. Yeah, well, nine times out of ten, if you run one of them and then you've got a you know a decent UV, like when I breed a lot of big dragons or a handful, I, I run the T5s across the front of two tubs and then use them at the back of the tub. Yeah, and that's plenty, you know, to yeah. to get them going. That's plenty of heat. You know, the reptile room sits at twenty nine every day anyway, so it's yeah. pretty warm. Yeah, yeah. I've been getting alerts every morning. Like I get an alert sent to my phone once it hits twenty eight. This room gets to about twenty eight by about ten thirty or something at the moment. So yeah, mine gets pretty warm. I mean, it was thirty six here today, and it was Sheesh. yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty bloody warm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we haven't hit that yet. I'm nah, sweating outside at 24. <laughs> nah, it's, it's pretty warm. So um, what actually attracted you to keeping more reptiles? Um, so I used to keep a lot of the Nefurus. So for a lot of years I was a knobtail gecko. Like I, they're, they're my favourite gecko is uh, Asper. That's my favourite hands down. Um, yep. And I used to keep a lot of Nefurus and it was like, you know, I just wanted to make every species and, you know, I had decent numbers and I uh, I just enjoyed it. And then the, the the thing that got me into it was um, there was a guy in New South Wales that produced the jelly bean levis, um, mm. Jason, and he, uh, he offered me some of the jelly beans, the original jelly beans, and I spent a ridiculous amount of money on them, um, which was, you know, <laughs> quite a significant amount. And I went back and bought more towards the end of the season. And then I grew them up and it just amazed me that you could get, you know, a reptile from the wild that, you know, vigorously patterned and then you could get one that had nothing. I was just like, holy shit. And they were pretty specimens too. The, the jelly beans were like they beautiful. Were, yeah. like they, were, they were like stunning geckos. So it kind of, that's probably where it, you know, pricked my love for morphs. Um, and then, you know, I was always hoping there was another type of morph with, you know, one of the Nefurus, but there was, you know, there was like pink amy and, you know, a lot of the just stuff that was coming out was just, yeah, it was just color phases. Yeah, it was just color phases and people were just, you know, putting two color phases together to throw lighter animals and darker yeah. animals and, just you know, nobody actually, <clears throat> yeah, but nobody really honed it, you no. know, like there was pink salmon amy for a while there. I think I've seen like two generations and they disappeared. Yeah. Um, and then after all these years, none of the, the – like we didn't throw 
many morphs, but the Americans had the albinos and that of the Pilbrensis, and then they popped up in Australia, and then that was that. I was just like, holy shit, you know, that was like my um, my bucket list gecko. Yeah, I, you know, I was n- not sure I spent the money on them. I bought some in, and you know, and they were just. They were just crap. Like they, they had really poor eyesight. They were terrible feeders most of the time, and, yeah. and they were a gecko that were they were like two albino pilbrensis were more work than forty other geckos. Yeah, and, and to me, I was just like, yeah, nah. So, so I had a bit of a break from most of the reptiles. I sold off the majority of my collection and had a bit of a break, and you know, went on holidays, went overseas, did what normal people do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I come home and my wife said to me, you're miserable, go buy a lizard. So I was like, right <laughs> Sounds like a good wife. <laughs> that, that's all I needed. That's all I needed. She said go and buy a lizard. I thought she said go and buy a hundred lizards. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I started going dit, 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 yeah. new acquisitions, weekly new cages. I rebuilt everything. I went again. And, and I this time I went into blue tongue morphs and I hit up Joe Ball in Queensland and started buying like, albinos hypers hit up roger kramer started buying like platinums and all these blue tongues and i was just fascinated with the genetics and i was fascinated with what you could put to what to make stuff and yeah so i've been doing them ever since um i do them pretty much every year consistently um i have had a couple of you know pretty slow years um where i didn't pair as many because you know everyone just throws shit to the wall and hope it sticks uh with blueies they will undo you pretty darn quick um, but once you've got your eye in and, you, and you, you, you're half decent with them, you generally can expect quite a few litters every year. And, and, and you know, making, you know, there's like a, a little bluey is beautiful, right? Even a normal yeah. is beautiful. But you throw a little hypermel or a little white or a little albino or a little anery and you're just like, holy shit, these things are, these things are mad, you know? Yeah. And then obviously I chase the double genetics and the triple genetics and I'm still chasing that stuff and I, I've, I still produce most most of the stuff. I don't produce it all yet, but you know, I'll be pretty happy to. You know, I should have just should have just saved my money for like six or seven years, gone out and bought like the platinum or the snow and the and the lava, and put them two together. I would only had to spend on two lizards. Yeah. I'd be miles in front. <laughs> yeah. Way it's less mouths to feed them too. That's right. Yeah, too right. Yeah, I mean, at my biggest, I had a hundred adult blue tongues. That was pretty. That was going pretty hard. Yeah, oh, that's a lot of mess too because they're not yeah, exactly oh, like that. Oh, and they stink. Uh, they they smell, smell yeah. terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Lay a nice fresh one. You can smell it. So it's like a punch oh. in the face as soon as you walk in. And that's yeah, just one. That's it. That's it. The worst. The worst out of all of them are shinglebacks. Oh my god. Yeah. The worst. I've never beardy dragons are pretty. Beardy dragons are pretty ordinary too. I'll be honest. Like, yeah. Adult beardies, they make a mess, but yep. shinglebacks. When oh mate, they stink when they shit. <laughs> it's like next level. <laughs> so speaking about that, some people try to have that argument where you know it depends on their diet and, and as to what they actually. I've never experienced that either. The poo smells. Ninety percent of my reptiles eat dry biscuits, dry dog biscuits. Ninety yep. percent of my reptiles, and you know, obviously, I substitute with um, whether it be dog food or um, you know. Uh, like a, a mince or a um, egg or something like that, mate. They stink. It doesn't matter what you do. They stink. Yeah, yeah. High protein diets do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's um one of those things that I 
I suppose I, I started collecting blue tongues for a little while there and I think I kind of maxed out at about eight or something and I was like, this is enough. <laughs> that already smells in this room. We're just having those guys in, in a rack at that stage and, yeah. No, they're good fun though and I can definitely um, reciprocate. Baby blue tongues are probably one of the, the best babies I've oh. ever bred. Yeah, they're like, so they're just, good too. Yeah, they are. Oh, they're, yeah. Um, they're amazing. They are amazing. And when they come out and they're little whites and albinos and stuff like that, they're even better. <laughs> like yeah, they're just they're, holy shit. It's pretty amazing seeing some of the colours that are popping out in those now, like the last few years yeah. that people are working with. It's insane. Like some of that white with a silver. It's just, yeah. There's like undertones to a lot of them. Yeah. Like, and it's like that's a completely different line again. Like I'm completely out of the loop with it, but like yeah. looking at some of Rogers and Joe's stuff, it's just. Yeah. I don't even yeah, understand so the, what's going on. The pods were the ones that popped up last year and they are just mind-blowing. And, you know, when you start putting things like albinism into pods and then hypermelanism into pods and you can create, like, panda pods, you know, black on white, blue tongue, it's going to be crazy. Like, it's just going to go for another five, ten years. Easy. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 like, blue tongues are one of those things that I reckon they're probably one of the best pets for most kids and stuff to get into as well just because generally yep. they're so bulletproof yep. they can handle they so much yeah yep uh, how, how do you actually have all your blueies set up are you doing a lot of like outdoor stuff these days yeah so i've got uh 14 runs outside for my blue tongues so i can keep you know four or five to a cage, you know, at certain times of the year. Obviously, you can't keep males with females, you know, come up to a breeding season. But after they've all done breeding, they generally get along. You don't have too many issues. Occasionally, you'll have like a a really uh, a female that will just assert cage dominance and just chase anything around. I do have one cage with just one female in it because she's an asshole and she hates everyone. Um, great lizard just hates every other blue tongue. She's got a, she's got a beardy dragon in with her. She doesn't bother him. <laughs> um, he, he bothers her. He bothers her, but he doesn't really care too much. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, most of the time um, they're in the Bell inside. The ones I've got inside are in the Bell eighties. Um, I've got Bell eighty tub racks. Um, I will be moving away from them, but and I'll be going to uh, the new style of tub rack that Peter Birch is bringing in, which is pretty amazing. Um, they basically allow you to put UV and heat lights on and you don't have to run belly heat. Um, and you know, the beauty is you walk in, flick the lights on, they get all that natural goodness. You can keep them on bark chips, wood shavings, and just give them a bit more of a natural environment. The the cages outside that I've got are fantastic. They're as natural as you're going to get, but I elevate mine off the ground because we get like really cold where I live, but we also get like extremes up to, you know, 49, 50 degrees. So you have to keep them off the ground. Um, yeah. just to let that airflow go under the cages so they don't get as hot. Yeah. So are you doing kind of like the the fake grass or something like that as a substrate with like yeah. a wire mesh bottom? Yep. Yeah, outside, yep. So just got the fake lawn, but it's the, the good one, the expensive one. Um, and then, yeah, basically it's got like the, the black mat underneath. They're pretty easy to clean. You just roll them up. I've got a like a big container that fits a perfect roll in with F10 and that and do that yeah. sort of once every two months um, and then I'll do cleans like their season cleans after each season, you know, because you just want to kill any bugs or any bacteria or yeah. anything like that in the mat and then just leave it out in the sun to dry and then boom, they go back in. Yeah. 
Yeah. I found that was the best way that I had my um, – I had like little rabbit hutches essentially that I was doing my blotches outdoors, doing the similar sort of thing. I just had them raised up off the ground on pavers. But, yeah, I had a, I had a really hot day that came through and just cooked them all, unfortunately. I yeah, didn't have a chance to throw a tarp above them. I, I keep mine sort of 500 mil off the ground, so a foot yep. and a half, um, yep. just because we get the extremes. Um, and I've also got like a, a shade sail that I can put over them every, you know, like say if it's over 35, the shade sail goes up regardless. So every morning I'll put it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I just don't, I don't run the risk of not being able to provide that. I do get caught yeah. out every now and then when you're like, you're at work and you get a 36 degree day and you're just like, oh shit. You know, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't forecast to be that warm, but it, it just, just happens. gets that warm. Yeah. Yeah. I do get yeah. caught out. But generally early in the season, they can handle, you know, a couple of really hot days, you know, as long as there's a cool day that follows or a couple of cool days that follow. Yeah. Yeah. Bloody good animals, weirdies. Yeah, they are. They're um, awesome. Speaking of good animals, yep. Nephris Ameo. That's probably like yep. one of my – it's probably is my favourite Nortel gecko, actually especially yep. after seeing them in the wild. Um, how do you like working with them? Yeah, I love them. I, I love them. Um, I'll never be in a position where I'm not working with a rough knobtail. Um, yep. I've been trying to get Shea back for quite a while now. Um, yep. I actually actually enjoy the Shea more than the AMEA because they're probably a little bit more robust than an AMEA. Um, but, yeah, no, I love them. They're awesome. I set them up in naturalistic cages. Um usually have like a, a nocturnal light in there just for my own viewing when I want to go out and watch them. Um, and I set the uh, – I've got a Grid Connect camera and I set that up on them. And, uh, yeah, I, I probably spend way too many hours watching the Grid Connect and not watching <laughs> the show that my wife wants me to watch. Mate, that sounds better to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we do all right. It's like it's – like, and, and my Amy I get a – a very diet as well, so I'll leave like yep. front porch lot on and catch moths and just shark them in. And yeah. you know the food response of a of a critter with wings for a, a gecko like that, it's like they've won the lottery. They just they just don't stop. They hunt them down. They're fast little buggers too. They are. They are. They are. And well, and I feed my staff really big stuff. Yeah. Like, like if if the moth's as big as this head, it's in there. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that kind of is a bit of a, a misconception that a lot of people kind of get stuck on the idea of it's got to be between the eyes. Like that was a massive thing for a long time, and I think we talked about this not too long yeah, ago with, like with a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and you know I can understand it as kind of like a, a newbie perspective, as in yeah. like a, a safety thing you say to somebody that's maybe keeping reptiles for the first time, but after a while you kind of get used to chucking big things in there. Yeah, most definitely. And, and yeah, you know, like sure. adult, I've seen adult bearded dragons. So certain times of the year we get these big rain moths and they're like the size of the palm of your hand. They're massive. And like my dragons love them, my breeders. And, and I'll chuck them one rain moth and it'll take it 30, 30 minutes to eat it, but they don't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. They take that long, but they do not let it go. Oh, yeah. It's like they can see the reward at the end of the tunnel. You know, that's it's right. Like, this is going. This is going to cost me a bit of energy now, but the energy that I'm going to gain from this, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And they that's... don't eat after. They have one big meal and then they won't eat for a week. I found it on yeah. most of my reptiles. You know, a lot of people, you know, are, you know, 
consistently feed their reptiles. I'm not one of them people. I feed my reptiles when I think they need food. Um, I space my reptiles out, you know, three to five days sometimes because yeah, yeah. in the wild they would have five shit days where they don't get to eat. The temperatures yeah, aren't right. warm enough that they can digest and they don't get to eat. I mean, the common no, thing in captivity is... cricket or something. Yeah, that's right. But the common thing yeah. in captivity, especially with like beady dragons, is people just overfeed the shit out of their animals. Yeah. They just keep you, feeding them. You see some of the pictures from the US and stuff like that of those bearded dragons sitting on someone's hand and it's just, look, they're so obese. Like, I've, I've seen some Australian breeders that, you know, think they're pretty good with their beady dragons and their dragons are six, 700 grams and they're just fat messes, mate. They're just yeah. like... Like, I live in a place where beady dragons are on every fence post, right? And I've never seen a dragon in my life over 350 grams or 400 grams if it's not gravid. I've never seen it. Yeah. Mm. I've seen big individuals, mate, but they are thin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, that's That's right. And even you look at, like, what some of the wild snakes get around, you know, like, you see all that muscle tone, everything, whereas you look at a lot of captive stuff and they're just, yeah. Way too big. Yep, for sure. But in saying that, you know those those snakes also aren't getting clutches out every season as well. So no, that's true. You know, it's all trade offs, right? Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. When my green python came off that clutch of eggs, I was like, "Fuck, you look like death." You know, I was like, "I've I've, I've killed her." <laughs> like she was as thin as a rope. Yeah. But now, you know. Give her a year off and she's back to where she was. You know, you just got to try to make that right sort of call. Yeah. But realistically, snakes should look that bad after a clutch. They should. I mean, you know, we put them in an environment which is perfect, you know, for digestion, you know, generally hygiene, you know, and also an unlimited tap food. Yeah. Where we just keep throwing it at them. So, you know, it would probably contribute to you know, a lot of good reasons, but also a handful of bad ones as well. It's like the perfect mm. storm. The minute yeah. the temp goes on a cage, boom, your snake's got RI or it's got an underlying health issue. So you just – captivity is uh, – I feel that the hobby's moving in a better direction than where it was 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 100%. Um. Kimberley Rock Monitors, like they're, they're one that's very near and dear to to me and I, I find yep. myself staring at my cage very, very often. How, how are you finding keeping those guys? Oh, I fucking love them. I love them. <laughs> they're, they're, there is not – the only downfall with Kimberley Rock Monitors, and I'm not even going to lie, is just hatching the eggs. It is not yep. as simple as just putting them on vermiculite, putting them on water crystals, putting them on this. It is – I've had – Plenty of challenges, and I know that the people that I rely heavily on, um, like um, Canadian Cold Blood, Brandon Van Aston over in Canada, um, a couple of other lads, uh, good mates of mine, um, Gavin Mellon, Matt Somerville, and uh, Rob Grabowski, I picked the shit out of their brains on, you know, how can I do it better? Because, like, I hatched one last year. I actually hatched a couple, but they just didn't didn't kick on, you know? Yeah. and it, it, it's a kick in the guts. Like, it doesn't matter how you look at it. But I also look at it of, well, they're not completely dialed in yet and I haven't got this right, I haven't got this perfect. Something's happened and I just need to do better. But as captive specimens, they are hands down my favourite. 
I absolutely love them. Yeah. And I've got a natural cage. I've got a natural cage. It's a URS 1200 by 1200, I think it is. And it's got a full rock back wall, all cork bark walls. Um, It's a pretty impressive cage. Like, I'm not going to lie, it is. But it is very weathered and seasoned and it probably needs either a facelift but my issue is if i pull something off the back of it i'm worried that the whole back end's going to cave in on it yeah because they don't like those cages are great but they don't weather high and low temperatures so well over so many years is that the yeah yep yeah so that and it's a nice cage like i'm not going to fold it the cage is fantastic but you know like i run a lot of heat on that cage for those kimberley rock monitors like a lot of heat um, because yeah. it's so big, you have to heat the whole cage, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and and so, it's glass. Yeah, and it's glass as well, so, much, so you yeah. lose a lot of heat. Yep, most definitely. And Woody's find a way behind the background, and now the Kimbos have found a way behind the background, and I'm just like, you know, I used to worry about it, but I'm like, you know what? You got in there, you can get out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I don't even worry anymore. <laughs> Well, it's always a heart attack when you put a fake background in or something like that. Like my mangrove monitor, I like screwed that uh, universal rock background into place, all perfect. Yep. And like within an hour, she found a hole and she was in behind yep. it. And I was like, oh, shit. So I'm plugging that up with like a little piece of timber on a bracket and kind of screwing that all shut. Even the other day, she got into the top of it and I was just like, yeah, same deal. You got in, you can get out. Yep. <laughs> like yep. Four foot Goanna, whatever. Yep. Most definitely. Yeah. I've, I've just become, you know, like I've got four kids and, um, you know, most of the time they're pretty good with the reptiles. Um, none of them, well, the little fella, he, he loves them, but, the you know, each kid, because I always had, like, really expensive reptiles, I probably wasn't the best advocate for reptiles for children because I was like, don't drop it, don't drop it, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, unfortunately, that probably scared my children out of wanting to keep reptiles. Um, my own fault, and I won't up to it. But yeah, um, I'm I'm much better now. At the end of the day, you know, like um, if if a kid drops a reptile, I mean, they fall out of trees to run away from predators. It's not a big deal, and you you kind of want to hone their skills with reptiles, and you know, so they have that passion that you had when you were a kid. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I mean, I've even had, I've even had what one year when I had a lot of shea and a couple other eggs, central nether dragon, the whole heap of other eggs in the incubator. My my son went to put the container of eggs in the incubator, and as he put it on, the shelf just went like this, and and the whole shelf just knocked every other shelf down on the incubator. Eggs went everywhere. Season was pretty much done in like thirty seconds, but you know you can't. You can't get mad because you knew you had to put a screw in that shelf and you never did it. Never did it. Yeah. You never did it. Well, I'll tell yep. you right now, mate, you can knock my incubator with a truck and it won't fall over, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about incubator. <laughs> yep. yep. Speaking about your incubator, how have you got that set up? Is that kind of like an old fridge setup? Yeah, so I've got I've got three incubators. Um, they're all old fridges. So I've got a double door glass fridge, and then I've got yep. two single door glass fridges. Um, basically, like your typical on the drink door, drink fridge, like yeah, your, yeah, typical like Coca Cola yep, fridge, yep, yep, <clears throat> yep, or whoever, yep, whatever brand. Um, yep. And then I've got the fan one, two fans in the top right, and then two fans on the opposite at the bottom left, so the air circulates in a sort of square motion. Yep. yep. 
Um, and then I've just got heat cord going to the back and they're on microclimates. The little one only has one fan. Um, I have had, I, I probably should stick a second fan in it. I definitely should. And I probably will after this season. Um, but there's eggs in there and they're going all right. But I just noticed that when that one starts to get hot on the really warm days, um, because there's not as much air moving around, it just spikes in temperature. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas the yeah. one with the four fans is is a hundred times better, and the backup incubator is just a little chook hatcher as well, which is like if if dire straits happen, I can just plug that in and put them in there. Yeah, yeah. and and that's got... heats are cool shit too. That little chook incubator. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got them set at different temperatures, or are you kind of yep. using the same temperature for most species? Yeah, yep. nah. All my monitors are done at twenty nine in the, in the in the other incubator, and then all my pythons are done at thirty one degrees, basically. Yep. Um, yeah. Beardy dragons, everything else goes at thirty-one, pretty much. Yeah, it's probably a rough knobtails. They thirty-one as well. Yeah, yeah. I just chuck them yep. in at thirty-one, else, mate. Yeah. They, yeah, they usually hatch out in about fifty-four to sixty days, and yeah, yep. they come out pretty fiery, ready to go. And and I actually keep the young amia in tubs because they're just easier to manage while they're little. They yeah, especially you, the you monitor the food intake see. and stuff as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, most definitely, because I have had, you know, some hatch out and then just decide that they just want to kick the bucket and, you know, for reasons that none of us will ever figure out. Yeah. Um, but I just find that the tub is, you know, it's clean, it's easy, it's less stressful because they're a pretty high-stress gecko when they're young. Yeah. Um, and, and generally they're, they're pretty good. I mean, they stress a lot as adults as well, but my adults, they're, they're like, you know, they're seasoned veterans. They're pretty they're, they're almost ready to retire, to be honest. <laughs> they're another thing that you don't see around much anymore. Back when they were on, they were, you know, yeah, you couldn't, um, you couldn't buy them to save save your life because they'd yeah. go advertise and they get snapped up so quick. But now you just don't even see an advertise anymore. Yeah, it's the same with most species. It's kind of like the supply and demand. You know? Yeah, you, you breed, you mass produce a species, and you see it with different species every year. You know, like mm. back in the day, central netted you could buy. You know, for sort of 80 bucks anywhere, now you can't even get them. They're another species yep. that people just can't get their hands on. And and, and, and to be honest, they're my favourite dragon. And I, I would always keep central netters because my wife actually loves them. So it's easy yep. for me to get them because I don't have to ask. I just tell her, hey, I've got netters coming. She's like, oh, they're mine. So that makes life, that makes life very easy. But, yep. um, yeah, it's like everything, the supply and demand. So years ago, Amy A were, you know, sort of, you know, you couldn't get rid of them for sort of 250 yeah. bucks, but nowadays they're just starting to spike back up there and go like that. But it was the same yeah. with the Shea as well, you know. Like I was probably, I think, the second person in Australia to produce Shea, and I, I bought my originals off Gavin Bedford, and I did really well with them. Like I smashed them out of the park. Um, and then, like, there was, like, this massive oversupply of Shea, and they were, like, $2,000 an animal when I first got into them, and then they just yep. they went to next to nothing, and, and people couldn't give them away. And then all of a sudden, three years later, when everyone stops breeding, they start going like this again and start going yeah. back up. So so every year there's cycles of animals. I mean, I remember my first gillings were $800 each back in the yeah, day, yeah. and they're almost back at that price now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when, when I got into them, they were only 200 250 or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah, I bought yeah. mine for 300 I think, off Gavin. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, I... I had my first gillens I bought off a guy called John Saji Ducha. Yep. And oh, yeah. I paid, you know, a decent amount of money for them. Um, great. I, I think I bought five or seven of them. I can't remember. But they were just awesome animals. 
Um, but yeah, like I say, you know, the two years before I bought them, they were eight hundred and eighty dollars each. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It is. But you know, like yeah. if people, like like anything, supply and demand, and if somebody loves it, they're going to pay it. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, and and you'll find that you know, like what a lot of people don't realise is, um, you know, like like I used to be on the APS forums years and yep. years ago, and um, my username on there was Levis04, and I was I was like I used to like if I had to sell a gecko, I'd just upload ten pictures of the gecko a week before I decided to sell that particular species. And then everyone would be like, oh, oh, chuck me on the wait list, chuck me on the wait list. And then I'd put the ad live and bang, they'd go in five minutes. So, like, smart marketing goes a long way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Good old APS. Yep. <laughs> the old shit fight for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still going, but I haven't been on there for a while. But um, it's a bit different this day and age than it was back then. Yeah, nah. Well, back then, everyone wanted to punch on. It was pretty full. Yeah, every single bloody thread <laughs> turned into an argument. It did. It didn't matter yeah. what it was. It no. didn't matter what it was. Oh, I found this in the wild. You took it. Oh, yeah. you know, check out this. Oh, you don't feed it that. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. People could be yeah. arguing the exact same point, but arguing with each other and arguing at yeah, the yeah. same point. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. All of that still funny. happens. It just happens on Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do Facebook. I can't do Facebook. I just can't yeah. do it. Just too much yeah. drama. Oh yeah. So, I just so you engage in it. <laughs> Shinglebacks are like a, another mainstay at your place as well. Um, and we're kind of talking about supply and demand. Do you reckon that they're one of those things that kind of falls into that pitfall of not being able to have big litters? So that you know, there's always a demand there for. Nah, 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 no way. Because like. <laughs> um, I, I always have shingles. They're like my pets. Um, I don't yeah. even care if I don't breed shingles because they're just they're just like the tractor of the lizard world. They just do whatever they want whenever yeah. they want. They don't really fuss too much. Um, I've kept a lot of shingles inside, you know, over the years. Now they're all outside. I, I do bring them in in winter. I don't have to, but I just choose to um, yeah. just so that they don't get any little sniffles or anything like that. Um, they're completely fine outside. I've left them outside year after year. They're fine. But I just, I like, you know, because I'm attached to them, I like to bring them in and I like to just really look after them, you know. I like them to have a, a really mild winter and then they can go back outside. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're, 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 they, they, the supply and demand, like the thing with shingles is um, probably the eastern states, there's always a huge demand for them because you guys yeah. don't get that many of them. So, you know, a shingle here in South Australia, if you look at the classifieds on a weekend, they're about 50 bucks each and you can pick them up pretty relatively easily from most, you know, um, you know, nah, breeders, breeders. And then, you know, the breeders are just giving their babies to whoever for whatever they want to get rid of, you know, and then the shops, you know, take the marketing that little step further and then, they go to New South Wales and they're worth a fucking fortune and everyone wants it. But in saying that, they are one of probably the coolest reptiles. They are bomb-proof. Um, if you killed a shingleback, you're not doing a very good job. Um, probably shouldn't keep reptiles. Uh, they are they are pretty pretty much bomb-proof. You can keep a shingleback yeah. and, yeah, you don't have to do too much with them. You don't even have to, like, the food variety for mine, you know, like it's, if I'm chopping up the kids' fruit or food, you know, every now and then I'll just be like, oh, all the ends of strawberries and shit, they just get that and they don't complain, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I love the goldfields. They're stunning, those things. 
Yeah, they are. They are. Um, a good friend of mine breeds the really, really orange ones, and yeah, I sort of said to him like. If I'm going to get the gold fields, like I just want the best pair money can buy. Like I just yeah. want that pair. Um, I'd probably be hesitant to keep them outside, even though they do just fine here, um, at least for the first 12 months. But, yeah, yeah. Um, if you want them, you want real nice ones. Because I yeah. used to have Perth Hills, and they were beautiful. Like they were stunning. Um, but they weren't gold fields is probably yeah. the best way to describe them. Do, do you reckon that um – Potentially, you know, South Australia in particular being a bit more of a drier state, it's a bit easier to kind of keep them versus like yeah. maybe us over here on the east yeah. coast. Yeah, hundred percent. They don't handle humidity at all. Like they really yeah. don't. Like they just don't handle it. They generally get sick really quickly around humidity. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think that you know we're pretty dry where we are. Although we've had a couple of really wet years. But, I mean, the flowers are blooming and they are fat shingles at the moment. <laughs> they are. You know, like, and I'll say this to all captive keepers, if you've got a fat shingle, you're doing well because they're fat in the wild too. Don't worry. <laughs> Especially in spring. Just not the beardies, hey? Yeah. No, nah, not the beardies. No, nah, not the beardies. Well, a shingleback will sit there and eat every single flower it can see. Like, that's yes. just what they do, <laughs> you know? A uh, beardy dragon would probably eat three flowers. I'd be like, I'm right for a couple of days. Yeah. Give me, give me an insect, a, a grasshopper, or a bug. Yeah, oh, that's wicked. Um, have you actually had any uh, much experience with any of the powdered reptile foods? Like, is that something you've ever included in your animals' diets? Yeah, yeah. So my um, Roger Kramer actually made uh, a better farm loaf um, with you know ingredients, and I pretty much it's become a staple and. Even my beady dragons eat it, and I feed it to my feeders too. Like they eat it too, so yeah. it's just a, a gel cube mix. It's it's you know a quarter of the cost of the commercial brands in the market today. So, you know, I think I worked it out. It was like thirty nine cents a blue tongue to feed, which is wow, pretty, pretty cheap good. when you're running a yeah. hundred blue tongues. Um, yeah. and and it was it, it works like it actually works. Um, I've tried the. Rapashi stuff, I didn't rate it. I actually thought it was pretty ordinary um, and, and my reptiles didn't really like it. Um, I've tried the uh, Arcadia stuff and, to be honest, that's hit and miss too with some of the reptiles. Yeah. Um, even even a couple of my shinglebacks turn their nose up to that too, which is strange because yeah. they generally don't say no to anything. Um, I haven't tried the new Fuzzy Fox stuff yet, but I'm keen to give it a whirl like most stuff um, and, and just see if my animals like it. Yeah, yeah uh, I love that, gel uh, foods because it's just convenient. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a, I work full time. I'm pretty busy. In fact, I do like sixty hours a week at work. So, you know, gel foods kind of tick a box. And yeah, really, really cool. I guess that's the one thing with the blue tongues as well. Feed them the dry dog biscuits. You know, that's like another time saver. Yeah, most it's cost effective. Most you know. Yeah, and, and they like it. They actually yeah, exactly, like and it's like and it, yeah, and they do well on it too. Where I live. Yeah. And the blue tongues will be eating out of the dog's biscuit, chasing like your the dog away from the bowl. Ones. Yeah, the yeah. wild ones will be eating yeah. out of the dog's biscuit bowl. So, yeah. you know, there's a method there to that madness. Mm. And something else to consider is generally they're a pretty um, balanced food. You know, that's if you're right. buying a decent pellet and stuff that's made for a dog yeah. or a cat or whatever it might be, they're reasonably yeah. balanced. That's right. Well, yeah, it's staying like a, you know up to like a 30, 40 kilo animal for its whole life. So, yeah, yeah, most you know. definitely. 
I'm really keen to try out that Fuzzy Fox stuff, to be honest, because I yeah. think with my my schedules now on my work days, like I get I get kind of caught out where I just don't have enough time in the morning to feed bugs out. So I think just yep. having like some of that stuff, especially for like the goannas and the beardies and the frilly and stuff like that, would just be handy to have that on hand. Yeah, for sure. I haven't tried anything for the goannas. Like they don't eat like the the gel foods that I make up or have. Um, but I would be keen to try it to see if the goannas would like that one because I believe Fuzzy Fox has a monitor one, so I'd be keen yeah. to give that a crack. Yeah, I think that'd be the first one that I'd buy to give that a a crack. I mean, worst case, yep. it just goes in the feeders tub. Oh, I can tell you no gecko eats it, but I've never seen a gecko. No Nefurus <laughs> likes that shit. Like, they just don't like it. Yeah, I tried yeah. it. Yeah. They just they spit it straight back up. Yeah. Yeah. So for me personally, it's uh, I'm racing out of the house in the morning, so that's why it's good to have, have something to chuck into the goanna's cage and kind of just leave it there on a plate or something like that and let yeah. them go to town on it. The geckos yeah, yeah. I can kind of tinker around with over night time and feed out bugs or whatever pretty easily. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the good thing about geckos. That's why I kind of like them a lot too because I got a bit more time over night time than during the day. So. Yeah, I, I probably way. don't have as much time to do the geckos in any decent numbers anymore because you know my nights are now spent yeah um, feeding shitty little anatoresia that don't want to eat. <laughs> um, at this time of year, um, and it's always the good ones. It's always the good ones that don't want to eat as well. You know, like the real good yeah. ones. Um, but like I say, you know, I get through the season. I just wouldn't have the time to do. Like if I don't feel like I'm doing an animal justice anymore, then I just won't keep it. Like I used to keep yeah. a lot of agernia, and like I've kept agernia outside and. And it probably ticks their box for being outside in a naturalistic setup. But nothing shits me more than having a lizard in a really cracker enclosure and you don't see the fucker. That just does my head in. Like, I know it's supposed to be like that and that's how it is in the wild. But guess what? You're at my house. I need to see you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a me thing. It's not a you thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think she's still in there. Somewhere, <laughs> who knows? I get a, a look in maybe once a month, twice a month if I'm lucky. Yeah, no, no I was sitting out all the time. I couldn't yeah. do that. I, I have to see him every every other day, or else I'm just I just lose interest really quickly. On you know, like you go to all this trouble to build like the nicest cage for them. You, you want them to peruse that whole cage, you know. And I mm. even set up cameras. You know, I used to keep Hosmer skinks. Those bastards never come out. Ever, ever. Or they come out, and as soon as they'd hear the door open, boom, gone. Sounds like yeah. prickly forest kings. Yeah, oh. so I was like, nah, <laughs> I can't do them. I, I did them for three years, and I was like, nah, you know, I, I need I need a change. I love yeah. them. Don't get me wrong. They're beautiful, but, yeah. If I kept them again, they would get, like, a cage with one rock. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I see you now. Oh, prickly forest kings, they were the worst. Oh, this beautiful two-foot bioactive tank. Oh, as an animal, yeah, 100%. They're absolutely so unique in my my opinion. But as a captive, like, I was just throwing crickets in and hoping the thing was still alive because I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I've tried bioactive quite a few times. I'm not a fan, personally. I'm just not. Yeah. 
I'm just not well, like you, you have to do it right. And yeah, like I know if you get it right, yeah. they're minimal work and stuff like that. But you know, my, my Kimbo cage, I'm not going to lie, would be the closest thing I have to bioactive. I think it's it all comes not down too bad. It all comes down to the species too. I yeah, most definitely, hundred percent, hundred percent. You try to do a bioactive cage for a beardy dragon, no chance. No, yeah. like the first time I did it, they dug up all the slater bugs and ate them all, all the isopods. <laughs> ate a whole lot. One day. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. actually yeah. seen the beardy dragon scratching around, going, "Oh, what's that, boom?" Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it all comes down to species, and you know, if you're yeah, blaring it with like forty odd degree heat. It's not going to yeah. do too well. But, no, um, it just dries out too quick. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've kind of, I think I've moved away from most of my bioactive stuff. I've got a few tanks that are bio, but having everything bio was just a nightmare. I was constantly fixing something. Yes, 100%. So for, for your... um. Yeah, feeder bugs and stuff, like as far as like woodies and crickets and stuff go, do you actually breed your own or do you have your own woody colonies and stuff going? Uh, I did. Yeah, I, I generally do like I go hard in the off-season with the woodies and then just yep. feed them off throughout spring and summer. Like yep. I generally have enough to get me through. Um, this year um, my wife is super generous with my reptiles and I'm buying them back in at the moment <laughs> because um, – <laughs> She feeds them very well, and uh, yeah, like I say, the the, the roach colony's uh, 2.0 starting again. Um, and the, the, like, like I, I also get my crickets like on a weekly or fortnightly basis, but um, yeah. I, I feed most of my reptiles, so 90% of my reptiles basically eat things like grasshoppers, and I, I basically believe that they are just a more superior, better food for most of your reptiles. Yeah. So, yeah, which are hard to come by. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was going to say, that's one of those. Yeah, we spoke about yes. that a few times. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah. so something I've, I've been working on in the background is um, I'm now self-sufficient with the grasshoppers that I keep and feed my animals. So yep. I am looking to expand and uh, let other people in on grasshoppers and hopefully put a new feeder into the market. But we'll see how that goes. I'm a little bit away from it, but it is in the pipe. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it because there's not many people doing it, if anyone. Um, yeah. It has been a... A pretty treacherous eighteen months trying to get them to go, but uh, it's yeah, it's all paying off now, and and yeah, I'm I'm hoping to, you know, sort of get them to the market probably early next year. Yeah, that's, that's so the good. plan. Yeah, it'd be good. Yeah, definitely. Because me and Lucas spoke about heaps of times about grasshoppers and leaf locusts and this and yeah. that. You know, as a substitute to your crickets, your woodies. Hundred percent, and and, no and where I live it. in outback South Australia, it's really dry, and you know every year after the big rains coming into spring, you just get plague proportions of like locusts and grasshoppers, yeah. and they are just out of control. And then that's the only time you'll see beady dragons carry weight. Yeah, for that month, for that month, you'll see them. They'll just punch out as many clutches as they can in the wild for that month. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that because yeah, I've been same. feeding off a few grasshoppers out of like, you know, those exoteric grasshoppers yep. you get in a tin or whatever. 
Yeah, the ones that stink. Yep, I know the ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if I was a lizard that likes a live food, I don't want a stinky yeah, dead, dead grasshopper shoved in my face. Yeah. I'd rather the live wriggling thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, and you know what? Like, woody stink. Crickets are repulsive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grasshoppers don't smell. Yeah, right. At all. Yeah, that's awesome. Zero. That's awesome. Yeah. If my house has been closed mm. up for too long without a cracked window. This place gets <laughs> up to come in here and open everything up. I'm like, freaking woodworkers. Yeah. Or I start coughing. Just got yeah, my woodies today to start my my colony. Is that wood roaches? It looked like a like a, a chip packet. Oh, it's in a postage satchel. They literally yeah. came today. <laughs> Is that from Nash? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. So I'll be setting that up once we get off here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah, it's um, trial and error with the wood roaches. Well, I'll, yeah. it's a love, sorry, a love hate relationship for me with the wood roaches. Yeah, I, I just love them because they're convenient. Yeah. <laughs> I just hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I actually don't mind crickets because I, when I have baby dragons on the ground, I breed my own crickets for the first, you know, yeah. sort of two to three months and I'm pretty yeah. good with it, you know. Most people fail miserably with crickets. They just don't know what happens because they eat each other when they're babies because they're, they're, they're terrible. Like, if you don't keep the food up to them, they'll just destroy each other. Yeah. Um, but once you work out a few little tricks with the crickets, um, especially when you've got, like, baby dragons, you, you want them to get good starts. And, and baby crickets, are, you know, they, it's a seven-day turnaround to hatch them from the time they're laid to the time they hatch. So it's yep. a pretty quick turnaround to give your baby dragons a really good feed. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And then and then for your adult dragons, like I'm – how big do your your grasshoppers get? They get pretty sizey, don't they? Four inches. Yeah, right. That's four a inches. Meal. Yeah, four inches. That's a real meal. Yeah. 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 And <clears throat> you literally only have to feed them probably five grasshoppers a week. Like, they don't eat that many of them. A male yeah. will because they're pigs, but a female generally <laughs> will only eat what she needs to, you know, produce a clutch. Um, but, yeah. They're just so much better. Like, well, you, you can feed one like thirty crickets, and that's like one grasshopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big difference, and you can imagine that's the nutrition, nutritional content of that grasshopper probably outweigh thirty crickets. Yeah, most definitely. And like I, like when they're in plague proportions, I mean, I just go out in the scrub and just swing a net, and you know that's a feed for my dragons for like two weeks. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's and it like. I just feed them straight off, mate. I don't care what they have in them. Like, I just feed them straight off. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. far enough out in the scrub that I know there's no pesticides or herbicides or anything in them, so I just I just feed them off. Yeah. You know, I, I bring them home, I put them in a cage, I feed them just a bit of leafy greens, and then I feed them off. Yeah. Do you um, – ha- have you ever found any sort of, like, um, colour enhancements or something with your reptiles feeding off grasshoppers? I, I haven't really taken, like, a super amount of notice with, um, you know, like, colour enhancements. But I will say that the Kimbos are on, you know, basically, a, you know, a complete diet of grasshoppers with, you know, the occasional egg in between um, and, and the occasional rodent. Um, and, and, and the colours on them are pretty sensational. But that could be the lighting as well because I've got, like, yeah. T5s and, 
and really decent lighting in that enclosure too. So, but they're they're stunning yeah. specimens. They really are. And Carol, I mean, just like anything too, it could potentially just be the genetics behind those particular Kimbos as well. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true too. That's true too because the baby that I do have is nearly an adult now and he's stunning. He actually hatched 73 days after incubation. He's got a full tail, but his tail's curled up in a ball, so I called him Nubby. I dubbed him Nubby because he's got a little nub on his tail. So he's like my knob-tailed Kimbo rock monitor. He can never leave. Yeah, the tail is just, if you have a good look at it, the tail's just in a squiggly ball. Like you can actually wow. see the tail going around in circles. And wow. I thought it was going to have all sorts of issues with shed and all this stuff. Mate, he has no dramas. Yeah, right. Interesting. He has no dramas. And, you know, it was an incubation floor. He hatched at 73 days. You know, not many people have hatched them that early. I asked, you know, a few of the Kimbo, you know, specialist breeders in Australia and overseas. None of them had ever hatched them that early to my knowledge. And uh, I'm just guessing the fast incubation, there might have been a spike in the incubator that I wasn't aware of. Um, and, he, yeah, he's come out and he's had this tiny little nub on his tail. And, yeah, I just deemed him nubby and he'll never leave my place. <laughs> Everyone always ends up with a pet, something. Yeah, you some, give that some sort of bit. funky critter. I had a, I hatched a Gillen's monitor once. It didn't really, it didn't make it, but it's like its torso was really short. Yeah, like its its front legs were almost touching its back legs. It just didn't have much in between it. But it kicked yep. on for a few months, so it wasn't just like it was. Like it could eat, it could poo, it could do all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he ended up dying, unfortunately. Through the way, but yeah, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty ruthless when it comes to you know making that decision on an animal for its quality of life because I don't mm-hmm. believe animals should suffer. But I mean, if you look at a beady dragon that has a nip tail or a nip toe, it, it has zero effect on its quality of life. You know, yeah. and and I'm just looking at this nub on the end of the Kimbo's tail and going, well, it doesn't even matter if it's a breeder because it. You know, I, I know for a fact it wouldn't be genetic because of the way that it's bald. And mm. I just thought, well, you know what? Um, I could have, you know, had it extracted on the tail and, you know, just be a short tail Kimbo rock monitor. But, you know what? He, he does all right. He does pretty mm. good. So I just let him go. Yeah, happy does. Yeah, that's all there. Do you actually breed your own rats and mice as well for your pythons? Nah. No, nah, not at all. Can't do rodents. <laughs> cannot do them. Cannot, cannot and will not do rodents. I am, I am I one of these people that are, I'm happy. Like, I just go, right, two marble babies or two albino carpet babies will pay for this month's or this quarter's food, you know, and I'm happy. I, I almost offset one clutch a year to pay for the rodent bill for the whole year because, you know, it's just one extra pairing because I just cannot handle the smell of vermin. In fact, recently, <laughs> my breeder was going away and he asked me to look after his stuff, and, yeah, no, nah, mate, just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, they do just have can't that smell it. about them. <clears throat> they stink. Yeah. Hey, a pretty sure. special person to breed rodents, and I applaud you, and thank you for being those people for this hobby. That's what I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> and not my cup of tea. I used to breed rats for pets before I was into reptiles. I didn't mind doing a few litters and stuff here and there, but when you talk about those guys that are like mass producing to supply, yeah, no. oh, 
yeah, kudos to them. That, there's yeah. just so much work involved in that too. It is. It is. Even your feeders, people don't realise this, but, you know, like really good breeders have really good feeders and, and they breed their feeders as well as they breed their reptiles. And then, you know, like realistically, I'll say to someone, if you want to breed reptiles and you want to go half decent of them, try run a roach colony for three years before you even buy a reptile. And if you do really good, you're going to make it. <laughs> you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely can't do them. It's I don't I got like they don't bother me in any way, shape, or form. But there's <clears throat> just something about that smell. That's yeah, they stink. They stink. Yeah. And then they attract blowflies and all sorts of other yeah. flies. And it's just you know the feed. You can't feed them wet food. My woodies exclusively live off powder. That's it. I don't give them any other nothing else. Just powder. Mm. Really? That's it. Yep. Yep. Just just powder, mate. Just various powders. That's all they get. They get yeah. nothing else. So and and they, zero don't, they don't smell. Yep, zero, zero. And you know, if I'm feeling generous, they might get a carrot once in a blue moon. But I, I, I want to make sure that when I put that carrot in there, there's nothing left. Otherwise, yeah. it goes mouldy in the bottom of the tub, and then you start yeah. all that process of you know. Yeah, that, nah. I think that was one of my biggest flaws for ages. Is I was putting like a whole carrot into like a sixty liter tub of wood roaches. And yep. now I'm kind of finding if I'm doing like a, a third of a carrot or something like that in there, it'll be gone yep. within two hours, yep. like completely consumed. And I'm finding that's kind of the sweet spot. I do that once a week and that's that's their moisture for the week. Yeah, you uh, cut it up into fours and do it that way and drop them in as sticks and they just go. Like sometimes I'll even like when I'm doing the peel, you know, to peel yeah. for dinner and that and you get the carrot peel, I'll just go put that in there, and, you know, because it's moisture in it. Like, if they don't eat it, it just dries out really fast. Yeah, um, yeah. But, so you know, in a decent colony, it's <laughs> gone in, you know, six minutes. It's just gone. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy how quickly it gets switched onto that. They just bang straight onto it. Yeah, like, straight away. But I, I was put on to feeding the insects, you know, powder, you know, powdered variety foods um, and just just not feeding them. And eventually they're hungry enough and they just eat it and then you don't have – like, it does minimise the smell by about 60%. To, to my knowledge. Yeah, right. What kind of powdered foods are you actually feeding them? All sorts, all sorts. So like crushed up dog wickies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I've got like insect booster stuff. Um, I can't remember who makes the stuff, but I've got that as well. Um, and it, it just – Is that Vetafarm? Is it Vetafarm? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is Vetafarm's insect booster, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it probably is Vetafarm. Now that you say that, but yeah, I I just and I use that and and they they eat it, they eat it, and you don't have to worry about you know shit in the bottom of the woody tub, you know mouldy carrots and mouldy bits of fruit and whatnot. Mm. It's and it's good enough, and you you know you you probably don't produce as many as you would keeping the moisture really high. Mm. But I live in a dry climate anyway, so they're kind of used to it. Yeah, <laughs> that's how. I think the relative humidity in this room year round's like not dropped below sixty five percent. It's sixty five and one too. We we barely even have humidity where I live, you know, unless it's before a big storm. That's probably yep. about as much as you'll get. <laughs> so you've got some pretty successful social media um, platforms and the stuff that you've been working on. Uh, yep. they've really shot off as well. I remember ages ago you were talking to me about getting on a TikTok. How's that yep. been going for you? Yeah, it's going pretty good. I, I think I've got 14,500 followers on TikTok as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I 
I go live on there and showcase the reptiles and, you know, I've got a pretty loyal following and support group there and, you know, like some people have never kept a reptile in their life. Some people have fears of reptile and just come in to watch, you know, you know, like the the hands-on experience with reptiles. Um, you, you you educate in a different audience, I'll say, which is yeah. um, fairly good and, and, and it's a monetized platform as well. So people think you do a good job. They can send you gifts and stuff like that and it's – it actually is pretty good. It's it's not too shabby. Um, yeah. My Instagram is, you know, it, it sits at about 11,000 people, but I had a shingleback reel with pine cones go viral at 20.8 million, which just, it was ridiculous. Like, you, you know, the little um, things on the right-hand corner and your little love heart and when people like your posts and that. Yep. Well, I actually video recorded it for four days. It just kept going, 99, 99, 99, 99. Like it just, it was meant, I couldn't reply to anyone's messages because I just had that many notifications coming in. So so that shingleback reel hit 20.8 million. And, uh, you know, you get an extra 7,000 followers straight away in four days for that. Like they, everyone wow. just follows you. Um, and, and most of my reels are, you know, like, they get really decent traction and then I sort of was putting all my time into Instagram and and I started realising that, like, you know, running two decent social media accounts is a lot of work. It is a lot of work um, and you've got to keep the content fresh and coming and coming and coming and I just, I got to the point where Instagram, it doesn't even reward, like, they'd send you a message saying, are you going to be invited into the Reels program or you know, like uh, your your account's eligible and then you hear nothing back and and you just realise that, you know, like in other countries, you know, as soon as your content goes over a certain amount and you're monetised on that content. Yeah. But in Australia, you're just not. So, yeah, I sort of pulled back from, like I, I still drop a reel, you know, once a fortnight or once a month, whatever now, just to keep the account ticking over and that. It's where I do most of my, you know, talking to, you know, like you guys and other mates on Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do all that sort of stuff there as well. But outside of just having a bit of fun with it, it's kind of just turned into just, you know, it's just another social media account. It's a, yeah. I find it's a really good platform, but I just find that for Australians, it's, it's, it, it needs work. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. needs work. I, I tried to, understand tiktok a little bit i just couldn't couldn't grasp with it i think i'm just i'm going to stick to youtube and post and occasionally to instagram myself but i do find it interesting how there's just such a wide audience that you can get on tiktok yeah it's massive it's massive and and literally like you can go viral for the stupidest thing yeah yeah i think i think the thing on tiktok is people want to see a story. So I find that most of the stuff goes viral, especially in the reptile-related industry. And all my mates' videos that have gone viral is like when they post a beauty dragon that didn't hatch right or something's wrong with it or, you know, it's missing something. And then that goes viral because of all the people that, you know, have that caring, nurturing side. Yeah. And and then they want the story. So I put it to the test the other day. I've got one of the Anna Theresia eggs and it's gone black. So I posted a video on TikTok saying, hey, guys, will it hatch? Post a comment, you know. You got like 20 comments in two days and it just keeps going and going and going. So, so I'll do an update in sort of 10 days and then there'll be 10 days before it hatches. And then all those people will just keep coming back to see if that snake's hatched. Mm-hmm. 
which is uh, uh, kind of funny, but it, it works. Yeah. It's getting them invested. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you're trying to post educational content on TikTok, I think you're a fucking idiot. I just don't think it'll go anywhere. I'll be honest. Start People doing are just, there. People are just there to see asses, you know, bikinis and, you know, the occasional animal story. Yep. Yeah. You know. We might have to come with an Australian Herpticulture podcast dance, mate, and start bustling out on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, with those arseless chats. Yeah. You'll be right, boys. <laughs> I'll let you choreograph for that one, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Start doing the Macarena. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I don't think you'll catch me on that again. Unfortunately, no. that's not. I think that's a young man's game. I think so, yeah. A lot of time consuming as well, I think. I don't yeah, it is. Like, people don't realise that, you know, like social media is, you know, massive. And, yeah. like, unless there's a direct benefit of social media, then why are you doing it? Like, yeah. I, I just, for me, it was like, you know, I was I was trying to get it to the point where it could be monetized just to see if it could be, you know, because if you're going to yeah. spend that much time investing in something, you will at least want some sort of kickback, you know, exactly. a yeah. sponsorship, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Nah, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Didn't matter what you did. Nothing. Yeah, I think that's why I stuck with YouTube is because I just didn't see Instagram actually doing anything for that. Yeah. You know, well, YouTube's uh, a great platform. I've got a YouTube channel too, and I just post all my TikToks across to the YouTube. So that's all it was. But um, yeah, I I am working on something for the YouTube platform. Um, yeah. And I think it will go all right. I really do, um, but it's it's probably going to take, you know, a full 10 months to get all the footage to put it together to be able to sort of send it. Mm. Oh, cool. I'll have to keep an eye out for that then. Yep. Are you able to reveal anything or is that kind of like a under the roof? Oh, at, at the moment, it's um, – so, like, I do a lot of, like, um, you know, dragons in the wild because I literally, you know, see them every single day, you know, probably 10 to 20 a day. Um, so, so it's just following the, you know, the wild behavior of them because it's just like, it's such like for such a commonly kept reptile, there's such a yeah. poor education around them. Like the yeah. education around the fake grass dragon, and hammocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And fucking furniture the and the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. Castles yeah, and, and you know, 800 gram monsters that are going to stroke out on you. Yep. Yep. All that shit. Um, yeah. for me, it's just about trying to, you know, just educate people that these dragons aren't big and fat. These dragons climb, you know, two metres in trees to bask, you know, and take really decent vantage points. Um, their diet in the wild is super fucking varied, you know, and I just I just find that, unfortunately, you know, the dragon being one of the most commonly kept animals, it's probably the one that we've all failed multiple times just with its captive husbandry. I mean, mm. we put them in four by two by twos because we were told that the pet shop, that's, that's the way they're supposed to go. Yeah. Realistically, I never see a dragon, or I see them on the ground, but 90% of the time they're on top of a bush, which is about six to 900 high. Yeah. You know, which says to me that we're already doing it wrong. Yeah. yeah. I'd prefer the height. Yeah. I mean, most. Most definitely. So give your dragons 1,200 by 1,200 at the very least yeah. if you can afford yeah. to do it. If you can't, don't buy a beer dragon. Mm. Yeah. Oh, see, I've only just recently put my beardy into something that's that's bigger. Yep. I'll say I'll say bigger, but it would be awesome to put them in something like massive, like 
actually do him justice. It's the same as the field neck bowl. I mean, in this cage, it's like, that's cool, but that cage should probably be at least floor to ceiling. Yeah. You know, not just four foot at all. Yeah, but then you run into other issues of, you know, like I I, I was going to build, like I've been hearing you talk about this walking fucking Gillen's cage for forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. This is this is like, and I'll just I'm just going to put it out there, right? So I was going to do. I have the room to build walking cages, like I have the room, right? But the issue is that with the price of electricity in this country, those yeah. enclosures, especially where I live, yeah. come winter, would Get be ahead. virtually impossible to heat. Yeah. Yeah. But you would be running so much heat on an enclosure like that, you might as well not keep anything else. Yeah, exactly. Well, that essentially would have been my plan. It's essentially okay. get rid of everything else. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good just cram as many good in luck as I can. That. Yeah, <laughs> you're struggling now as it is, mate. Yeah, good, <laughs> to get good luck. Stuff. How many times have you downscaled? Because I reckon yeah. I've done it at least 10 more times than you, and I still got more shit. Yeah. Well, I'll. This is the lowest I've been in years. I'm down to 60-odd, 70 maybe? Give it six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something new and shiny will pop up. Yeah. I don't have to hang on. I've got a kid. Didn't you get Amy-A? Don't you have Amy-A? No. No, you don't, but you're going to get them because you talk about them that much. You're probably going to get them. Wheeler Eye. Wheeler Eye. Yeah, no, I know you were supposed to get Wheeler Eye, but you you didn't get one, did you? No, I, I... Reluctantly refused a gracious offer. Okay, okay. Well, I, I don't have I don't have the space. So yeah, I don't okay. Well, we, you know, there's something there's something in a herpa, right? Like you don't have the space right now, but as soon as there's an empty closure, you it's like, oh, 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 I've got this space. Yeah, you know, like like <laughs> it, it's funny, right? Because I've got to a stage of my life where I probably have more empty enclosures than I do full, right? <laughs> now, and I don't need to race out and fill them. I I, I genuinely don't. Right, but when that something cool, new, and shiny pops up, like you know, the latest one is um, Varanus Aremius. I'm seeing you know so many photos of them floating around. Uh, someone I know has captive bred them on legal take from the wild permits. They will be hitting the market probably next year, and I'm just like, oh, uh, oh, do I? You know, and it yeah. starts again. Yeah. yeah, it starts again. I think that happens at every round, though, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah. But like I say, you know, you know, when you can get to a stage of life where you've got, you know, quite a few empty enclosures and you don't feel the need to race out, because we all did it. We just were like, like behind you, Jay, so four empty enclosures, they should be filled by Friday. You know, as a young kid, I would have filled them already, mate. Yeah. Oh, I would have filled them already. In fact, I probably would have bought the reptile before they were filled. I did. I did. I just need to finish these and they get that will be filled. <laughs> Let's put there it that is. way. <laughs> they are <Yeah>. filled. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. But like I say, it's um it's good to get to the point of life where you don't need to keep fucking everything and anything. Yeah. And plus I've bred, you know, a number of species of reptile over the last, you know, twenty odd years. So it, it, that kind of helps because like you'll get a species you know, and you might breed them by luck, or they might be that animal that takes you to the end of your, you know, to to, to try get it to go. Yeah. Um. But once you once you've done it multiple times, you're like, oh, right, what's next? You know. Yeah, and that's the same too. Like you, sometimes you might really want this species, and then until you get it and work with that, like, oh, it's not actually for me. 
And then you yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's no crime in that. No, hundred percent, and you don't know yeah. until you work with it. And the alcohol oh, doesn't always. really tick the boxes for me. So yep. you move it on. Then if it pops up again, you're like, oh no, I'm not into that. It's not not my yep. thing. So yep, yep. I, I probably I'm at the stage of life now where I get offered more reptile swaps or trades from mates now than I ever have, and yeah, and it's cool shit too. You know, like it's really cool shit, and I just I just say no. Yeah, the old me would have had three hundred cages ready to go, but yeah. the, no, I just, I just don't feel the need to do that anymore. I was even I'm like kind with of the anatheresia. Yeah, well, it's even with the anatheresia as well. I think, I think when you have a break from the hobby and then you get yeah. back in, you sort of adjust your, you know, w- what do I want to do? What do I want to yeah. achieve? You know, where do I want to go with this? And it's yeah. Even with the anatheresia, you know, I jumped in because they're all shiny and new, and I always had wheat belt stimmies. Like I fucking love them things. I always had them, and I had crackers. And then and then I started seeing all these marbles and albinos and all these crazy shit. And I went and bought it all because I just couldn't help myself. Um, and now I've got like pairs of all of them, and I'm just like, what do I do now? Like, yeah. like. Like I, I, I really like the white marble complex and I really I like the yellow marbles. marble. Yeah, yeah, and I love the yellow marble complex. But outside of that, I don't actually – like I don't like the dark ones. And I like they all have their place for the certain people and that's fine. But, you know, I'm at a stage of life now where I held back, you know, seven of my best last year and the year before and they're all going to become my breeders. So then my breeding stock will go and I'll start with these new ones because they're yeah. much better than my original stock. And and then I'll just, you know, how many how many generations do I want to go with this particular, like, species? Like, do I want to keep doing them? I mean, I yeah. like them because they're, you know, they're relatively cheap to feed, you know, and it's easier. They're relatively cheap to feed. Like, you have a big old carpet and, you know, with the price of rats in this country at the moment, like I've got five adult carpets out there or six adult carpets out there, and I'm like, holy shit, these things eat heaps. Yeah. You know, like they eat heaps. And, you know, the, the, you know, I cycle most of my carpets every year as well, and I have a crack at breeding them, and I've, I've been pretty good with most of them. And, and then this year I just had a shocker. Like, can you get that? People don't realise that, you know. Reptiles won't consistently breed for you every single year. You will have shit years you know it does yeah. happen yeah you know sometimes it's not even you sometimes the seasons just don't line up you know yeah. it's not your fault you know most people yeah. just roll their sleeves up and go again but i'm at the stage of life where i'm like well what am i going again for am i going again for me or am i going again you know because i just want to do it? What, what's going on here you know and I sort of come to the realization the other day that you know i've been doing carpet poppins you know for 15 20 years and i just don't feel the need to do them anymore. Like I'm at that point where, you know, my, you know, like you've always got to have someone to come in and clean them when you're not here and feed them and do all that sort of stuff. And a big carpet can be a handful to some people. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely um, a bit more of a challenge for most. Like my father-in-law quite often would look after my stuff if I was, you know, on a holiday or, or whatever. And yeah, he was always a bit more nervous around like the big, big diamonds and stuff like that. Yeah, most like definitely. Little children's python is happy to still open the tub and fill up the water bowl and do all that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know what? When I go away, most of the time, I've always got someone to look after my staff, but I, I space that person out so that they're only here minimal amounts of time, you know. Like, like it's not the end of the world if your reptile water bowl is empty. Like, people have to understand that these, these reptiles don't drink every day in the wild, you know. 
Mm. Like my blue tongues, like if you want your blue tongue to have a drink, you want it to drink fresh, clean water, you know? So I don't fill up my blue tongues water every single day. I just don't. I do it every second day so that when I know I fill it up, they just come and have a drink. Mm. And, and they get clean, fresh water. I mean, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, this has been a, a killer chat, guys. Do you have yeah. anything else that you want to touch on at all, Frizy? No, I'm pretty good, man. Like uh, like a huge fan of the podcast. Love what both of you are doing. Think that the hobby's going in the right direction um, for what it needs to be. Um, I think that, you know, it's not about volume anymore. For so many years, it was just about volume. Yeah. How many can I produce? How many can I produce? And I think people are starting to wisen up. I actually think, you know, with the price of power and, and reptile food at the moment, it's, it's probably making a lot smarter herpers than it did, you know, 10, 15 years ago now in, 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 in the area we were in because, you know, electricity was relatively cheap. You know, food was really cheap. Yeah. And, mm. uh, and yeah, I think it's making better keepers going forward for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, there's no way I could fit any more cages in here and, and heat them, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the other thing too. I mean, my reptile room is sort of nine metres by six metres, you know, so it's pretty sizable. Yeah. And mm, it's just a purely good. dedicated reptile room. There's nothing else in there except for a bag of golf clubs, um, <laughs> <laughs> which probably have cobwebs on them. But like I say, I built that, you know, with the – intention to just make that my reptile room and and it was probably yeah. the best thing i ever did and it's allowed me the freedom to to breed as many species as i've bred and to work with as many species as i've worked with and i've kind of got to the point now where you know like you know everyone races out and gets all these crazy animals and and and, and i'm kind of at the point now where i'm like well what what do i want now like what do i actually want and 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 in yeah. life in life I want a challenge. That's what I want. I actually want a challenge. So I want a reptile that's going to challenge me and push me to that, you know, like where you have to think for the reptile. Well, what would you do differently? How would you do that? Yeah. Mm. You know, because some of these reptiles, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, like you could you can make the, the massive change and, and have no effect and then you make the tiny little subtle change and boom, you get it a clutch works. piece. Yeah. yeah. Find that so, yeah. I think that's half the joy, you know. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And and like I say, you know, my advice to new reptile keepers coming in is get yourself a small group of people and get a mentor and um, and keep your circle small. Keep yeah. it small. Yeah. You know, keep your circle small because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, great people in this hobby that, you know, have, have steered it in the direction that we are today. And I'm very thankful for a lot of people that I've dealt with over the years. I mean, I had mentors when I was a kid growing up. And it was yeah. fantastic. And some of them are still in the hobby today. Not a lot of them are, but majority <clears throat> some of them are. Um, but, you know, in saying that, the education I got off them was probably better than any book was going to give me because it was actual real life practical keeping. Yeah. Mm. So, so yeah. And, and, and I'll say this to anyone, like I get that many messages, especially off a social media platform, like I'm happy to answer most people's questions. Like if you've got an issue with a reptile and you like, you know, it's caging or whatever it is. Just, yeah, like, I, I help that many people. It's not funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is great. Definitely. 
All right, mate. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, having a chat to us. Did you want to just touch on any of the social media that you you do have? Obviously, TikTok and Instagram, they're your main two. Yeah, Yeah, so it's the same handle, Fryzy's Reptiles, TikTok and Instagram. And like I say, you know, go give us a like, follow, drop a comment. Um, If you want me to follow your reptile account, send me a message. I'm happily – I follow so many people on there. I really do, and I try – Every week I do story shares of like photographers and, and, and sometimes less known people in the hobby just to sort of, you know, let's, let's build a better community with a, with a you know, like, like my platform is everybody's platform, you know, 11,000 people. Generally, you know, like when a, my story shares get between 100 and 700 people, so nine times out of ten you'll get a bunch of new followers from me sharing your story, which I'm happy to do. Um, also, you know, I give a huge shout-out to – TJM Reptiles, um, huge friends of mine, and helped me out with a bit of gear every now and then with the Reptile Arcadia stuff, which is uh, pretty awesome. And also my um, my bug supply for the crickets, uh, shoe bugs. I'll give them a shout out as well because they do awesome work, and they're just going to do bigger and better things for the reptile hobby with their crickets. And then uh, yeah, stay tuned for Fryzy's Hoppers, people. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Make sure to follow the NPR network on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. As far as contacting us on our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherpticulture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Make sure to check out our Teespring store for podcast merch. The link is on the Facebook page. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. And for myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. Good night, everyone. Night. Night, boys. <laughs>